You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. First Nations opposing a pipeline project in northern BC are digging in as RCMP move in today to enforce a court injunction. The dispute centers around the Trans-Canada Coastal Gas Link Pipeline Project. The route travels through Wet'suwet'en First Nation territory. It's intended to move natural gas from the Peace Region to a future LNG plant in Kitimat. And while the nation's elected leaders signed a benefits agreement with the province, Hereditary chiefs and their supporters have thrown up two blockades, arguing those agreements don't apply to traditional territories. Tanya Beja has more on today's action and where things go from here. We are only here to enforce a Supreme Court injunction. Police set up roadblocks as they prepare to carry out a court order. We have seen a report from the Unistoten camp that um, the checkpoint has been breached and that their communications are being blocked. Unconfirmed reports from the protest camp outside Houston that at least 11 people were arrested as RCMP enforced an injunction. Members of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation had set up two checkpoints blocking access to a natural gas pipeline project. We want to protect that territory. We want to protect them for the future generations. The 670-kilometre coastal gas link pipeline passes through the traditional territory of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation. Hereditary chiefs and their supporters say it's not in their community's best interest. It would dis disrupt some of the critical land that we use to hunt, the trap lines, the food, the medicines. Trans-Canada, get off! What's in, what's in land? Monday's move by police prompting a backlash from social justice groups who stormed Trans-Canada's Toronto office. Trans-Canada, get off! We want to see a diplomatic solution. We want the RCMP to stand down. Uh, we want Coastal GasLink to back off. Safety is our highest priority. The company we says it consulted with hereditary chiefs for more than five years and secured 20 project agreements with elected First Nations councils all along the pipeline route. We understand that there are those that share different opinions and we want to continue to work with um, those individuals to find solutions. Coastal GasLink says seeking an injunction was a last resort. Tanya Beja, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this story. Keith, where does the province stand on all of this? Good question, uh, Sophie. The province uh, nowhere to be found today. The NDP government very vocal in opposition, demanding the Liberals do something about this protest camp. Today, no ministers made available. A news release released early this morning uh, said everything, this basically is up to the RCMP to deal with. Another news release from the government this afternoon said it's basically up to the company to deal with this. So no official comment from any minister. However, one minister was making news today. That's Forest Minister Doug Donaldson, who showed up at the protest camp yesterday to visit with the protesters. The BC Liberal calling him out saying it's inappropriate for a minister to meet with an, an illegal blockade. Here's Andrew Wilkinson saying he, Donaldson should pay the ultimate price. The courts and the police are trying to enforce a permit issued by the Minister of Forests and now the Minister of Forests has decided to obstruct that permit. So now it's time for Premier Horgan to ask for his resignation. How likely is it, Keith, that this dispute will escalate? 
Well, it's a very emotional dispute. It's been going on for years. That protest camp, the first one, has been there for eight years now. If you go on uh, the Internet, you can see all sorts of uh, protest groups using this particular protest as sort of a linchpin to, to uh, sort of broaden the entire debate about the entire resource and fossil fuel industry. So I'll tell you, I think as we go along with Kinder Morgan and other resource industries and mix in Aboriginal rights and, and concerns, I think the emotions are going to run high and we do run the risk of some of these things getting out of hand. All right, we'll keep on top of this one. Thanks, Keith. All right. Defense for Gary Handlin, the man accused in the cold case killing of 12-year-old Monica Jack many years ago, back at it today, nearing the end of its closing arguments in the case. Our Ramina Dea was in the courtroom, and Ramina, Jack's mom spoke exclusively to you today. How's she feeling about the case? Not exclusively to us, Chris. Uh, she did speak to some other media as well. She was saying that uh, there is no closure. It's kind of an absurd concept when, when you look at what's happened to their family. She said there will always be a void. You just learn to carry on. Madeline, Madeline Lanero and her family have waited 40 years to get justice. We've waited a long time for this. And we didn't think we could get to that point. Honestly, this seemed like no end. Now, Lanero's daughter, Monica Jack, was only 12 years old when she was abducted, raped and killed back in 1978, according to Crown's evidence. Gary Hanlon pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. He confessed to a fake undercover crime boss in a Mr. Big RCMP sting in 2014. Now, defense argues it was a false confession, and police manipulated Hanlon by claiming there was a 95% DNA match and there were witnesses, which was not true. Now, Crown says a confession was real, and Hanlon came clean in order to avoid prosecution. Sitting in the courtroom and hearing some of the evidence, what is that experience like for you? It's, um, it's not a fun experience. It's not fun. It's horrible. But I think I'll leave it at that for now. Now, Lanero told me she is grateful to everyone who didn't give up on her little girl and who helped get this case to trial. Defense is expected to wrap closing arguments tomorrow morning, and jury deliberations should begin later this week. Back to you. All right, we'll see how it uh, all goes. Thank you very much, Romina. More tonight on two lower mainland police officers acquitted of sexual assault charges in Cuba. Constables Mark Sims and Jordan Long are back on Canadian soil after an Ontario teen accused Sims of sexual assault in Cuba last March. Grace Key has more on where the investigation goes from here and potential disciplinary measures. Chief Constable Dave Jones with the New Westminster Police Department has been appointed to this case. Now, he will be reviewing this investigation, determining if misconduct took place, and if so, determine disciplinary or corrective measures. And that can range from dismissal to counseling to advice to future conduct. Now, it's unclear right now who the external police force will be, and they'll be in the ones who are actually in charge of the investigation itself. The investigation will include statements from constables Mark Sims and Jordan Long, an interview with the 17-year-old teen who made the sexual assault allegation, as well as witnesses and, if possible, material from Cuban authorities. Investigators will be looking into the incident that occurred in Cuba 
and the conduct of the officers. Because this um, incident involved um, off-duty conduct, um, uh, the allegation uh, that is being considered is discreditable conduct, which is when on or off-duty conducting oneself in a manner that the member knows or ought to know would likely bring discredit on the municipal police department. The officers were arrested in March while vacationing in Cuba. They were both acquitted in November. Sims with the Vancouver Police Department of Sexual Assault and Long with Port Moody of being an accessory. The Cuban prosecutor appealed the verdict and that was rejected. Former Crown Counsel Ravi Harris says a criminal trial back home is unlikely. If I've been accused of a sexual offence or an offence in another country, tried and acquitted, um, prosecuting me in Canada for the same offence uh, will be extremely difficult, if not impossible. This investigation could take up to six months, and it will be up to the chief constable to decide if the two officers will go back to regular duty, possibly get reassigned or suspended while this investigation goes on. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Now to some breaking news on the North Shore. Another successful operation for members of North Shore Rescue. What you see there is a young man lost on the BCMC trail near Grouse Mountain, long-lined out by helicopter just a short time ago. He used his cell phone to contact RCMP, who then called out North Shore Rescue, which dispatched both ground crew and helicopter for their first rescue of the year. The solo hiker was located in good condition just as darkness started to fall. He was taken to a spot near the Cleveland Dam where his father was waiting. We found his GPS coordinates and uh, so we sent a team in from the top to get down to him. It was about 750 metres and uh, they got fairly close to him. The helicopter also uh, uh, took off and uh, they located him. And breaking details of a tragedy near Golden. On Sunday, RCMP were advised of the sudden death of a 30-year-old man from Golden within the boundaries of Kicking Horse Mountain Resort. The man had been reported overdue by a friend. Resort staff initiated a sweep of the hill, and the man was located on one of the runs at approximately 7 o'clock last night. He was then transported to BC Ambulance, where attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. No word on the cause of death or the man's name. A tragic accident has claimed the life of an eight-year-old boy in Nanaimo. Lyndon Beglow was riding his bicycle when he was struck just meters from his home. He was wearing a helmet at the time and had just ridden down the driveway with his sister. Neighbors and first responders tried to help, but he succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced dead in hospital. The driver of the truck, a Ford F-350, remained on scene and is cooperating with investigators. This is a terrible tragedy. Uh, our victim services are assisting the family. Our school liaison officers, along with the grief counselors, are assisting the school where the young boy attended. We do not believe alcohol, speed, or drugs are factors in this investigation. We will, however, be doing a mechanical inspection on the vehicle, and the investigation is continuing. Super sad and um, disheartening, and we really feel for the family. And I think our neighborhood is really shaken up by this. A GoFundMe page has now been set up to help the family cover funeral costs. 
Commissions and fees paid out to insurance brokers are under the microscope tonight as the province aims to fix ICBC's so-called financial dubster fire. Global BC has obtained a copy of the broker remuneration plan for this year. And you might be surprised how much ICBC spends on commissions for even a simple renewal. For many in BC, insuring a vehicle is quick. 15 to 20 minutes, it's not a long time. Convenient. Very easy. My insurance agent comes to me. And not overly complicated. Just renewal, that was it. It was no big deal. But what is the cost of being forced to go through an auto plan broker during a time when ICBC is a financial mess? Every time when they lose money, we have to pay. It's coming out from our pockets. Global News has obtained a letter dated December 10th from ICBC to Auto Plan Brokers, which outlines their 2019 commissions and fees. It shows that selling ICBC optional insurance to drivers with the highest discount comes with a commission rate of nearly 20%. Maybe I'll become a broker myself. <laughs> no kidding, really. That's good business. Now, as an example, Global News got an actual quote for a 2019 Tesla Model 3. Now with the full driver discount, third-party liability at $3 million, and replacement cost collision for one year, the premium is $3,537. The commission, $490. Maybe uh, the easy ones, uh, that's, that's a pretty good price to, to receive in payment for services. But the bottom line is there's a lot of complexity that brokers deal with that takes that much more time. Brokers also get to collect on various fees. A new plate policy comes with a charge of close to $15. Enrolling a client in a payment plan, $8.50. And collecting ICBC debt over $25, while brokers get 7 bucks. Efficiencies that online can bring might bring costs down. That being said, brokers would still want to review all online policies. Both ICBC, which sets the rates and fees, and Attorney General David Eby were unavailable for comment. Why the heck should I pay another 6.5%? Many drivers tired of paying more say no potential cost savings should be off limits. John Hua, Global News. Right now, though, a Langley mother is taking her fight against smoking all the way to the B.C. legislature. Her battle started two years ago when she tried to stop the secondhand smoke from seeping into her condo. Now she started a petition to ban smoking in all multi-unit dwellings. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, thousands of people are signing it. Naomi Baker works hard to keep her baby girl Faith happy and healthy. Problem is, a neighboring condo resident is a heavy smoker. Yay! When we came home from the hospital with her in May last year, you know, it was an ashtray in here. Now, after going to great efforts to block the smoke from seeping through vents and walls, this Langley mother has launched a petition on change.org to bring cleaner air to all BC condos and townhomes. What we're asking for is that the government switches that, is that the default is that it's non-smoking unless a landlord chooses to say in the tenancy agreement or on the building it's a smoking allowed building. Baker's MLA, Mary Polak, has agreed to present the petition at the legislature in the spring. I'm looking at whether or not it would be a private member's bill or if there's a way to advocate for government to change regulations. 
The Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing responded with a statement saying in part, provincial legislation is regularly reviewed by the province to serve citizens and protect the public interest. You know, our Canadian constitution, the first thing it says is that we have the right to life. And secondhand smoke kills 800 people a year in Canada, literally from secondhand smoke. Baker has gathered more than 13,000 signatures online, 700 on paper. Paper submissions needed to meet B.C. legislature guidelines. Her efforts to ensure cleaner air for Faith and others will continue through January. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. After a brief reprieve, we could be in for some nasty weather again. And meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with the details. And Christy, snow, I hate to say it, is possible for some. That's right. So we do have high confidence. Parts of the south coast, Sophie, will see snow tomorrow. So inland Vancouver Island, near Port Alberni and along the east coast, mainly north of Victoria, starting as early as 7 a.m. The Sunshine Coast and House Sound also, but starting a little bit later in the morning. Now, to be clear, these snowfall amounts are the worst case scenario. We may not see this much, but it is possible uh, to see that amount. Now, as for the lower mainland and the Fraser Valley, there's a lot of uncertainty here because the majority of the moisture will actually push in later in the day when it's a bit warmer. So it's likely going to be a rain event, but I'm not ruling out the possibility or the chance of snow for this area as early as 10 a.m. All right, we'll check back with you in a bit. Thanks, Christy. Well, ride hailing is coming to Vancouver, but it's probably not what customers were expecting. We'll try to get that story up as quick as we can. But right now we're talking about sea lions and some people calling for a cull. Continued efforts to protect the dwindling Chinook, Chinook salmon population. It's brought about a controversial proposal to cull West Coast seals and sea lions. Proponents claim the animals are a threat to salmon and the resident killer whales that feed on them. But would a cull do more harm than good? Linda Ellsworth has more. The Pacific Balanced Pinniped Society, pinnipeds being the collective term for seals and sea lions, is working on a controversial plan. We are attempting to bring them back into historical balance. Their proposal to the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, a cull. In 1972, there were roughly 7,000 seals in the Gulf of Georgia. There are now 45,000. I would like to take it back to the old number to 7,000, but that wouldn't fly, so we're shooting at 50%. Thing is, 7,000 is not an historical balance. Seals and sea lions historically numbered um, over 100,000 animals. They were culled and hunted and reduced until literally there was only a few thousand left. By the time the cull was ended in the early 70s, they weren't the only species impacted. The number of transient killer whales which feed on pinnipeds had also crashed. But the numbers have increased almost in parallel with the recovery of seals and sea lions. So there's no doubt that this cull, once upon a time, decimated transient killer whale numbers. The Pacific Balanced Pinniped Society says a cull would help endangered southern resident killer whales, which eat Chinook, because there'd be less competition for salmon. That may or may not be true. Dr. Andrew Trite's concern that history will repeat itself. You're going to remove half of this food supply of the transient killer whales. What are they going to eat? And then there's the way the pinnipeds would be culled, clearly outlined in the society's proposal. There's absolutely nothing humane about clubbing a seal, um, shooting a seal with a rifle, or uh, harpooning them with a crossbow. 
it's just another seafood. Instead of a load of halibut coming in, we've got a load of seals. Well, I think it's a very risky experiment uh, to do. Um, we're rolling the dice with Mother Nature, and I think it could have disastrous consequences. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. I stand before you today to say sorry. We are sorry for the pain and the sadness that you have experienced. We are sorry for your loss of culture and language. Saskatchewan's Premier delivering on a promise years in the making today. Scott Moe giving the province's official apology to survivors of the so-called 60s scoop. Close to 20,000 Indigenous children were snatched from their families and placed in non-Indigenous homes during the practice crushing their family ties, culture and language. In his apology, Moe admitted Saskatchewan failed the Indigenous community through its role in the scoop. Many services in the United States are at a standstill tonight as the government shutdown continues. Hundreds of thousands are not getting paid. With little sign of movement, the president is stepping forward saying he will present his case for building the border wall directly to the people. At the White House, a shutdown sales job as the president makes a PR pitch aimed not at lawmakers, but you, with that speech and border trip to highlight what his administration describes as a humanitarian and security crisis. Vice President Pence says no decision has been made yet about declaring a national emergency. Declaring an emergency on our border, an emergency that doesn't exist, is probably the worst public policy idea I've heard in about 10 years. While the White House cites the growing threat of terrorism at the southern border, numbers provided to Congress in May, first reported by NBC News, show in the first half of the 2018 fiscal year, agents encountered only six immigrants listed on a terrorist screening database. This completely contradicts what we've heard from the White House officials as they've built their case for a border wall and for shutting down the government in order to get that wall. In a letter to Democrats, the White House is loosening its definition of border wall. Steel, not concrete. I do think his moving towards steel slats rather than concrete wall, if it holds, is important. A big pain point happens this week when many federal workers are set to miss a paycheck. I can relate, and I'm sure that the people that are on the receiving end will... Uh, make adjustment. They always do. Paul Sheeran's union represents about 80,000 federal employees. Months this shutdown could last, the president says. Are your workers prepared for months, no, do you think? No, absolutely not. Okay. That's totally unacceptable. Pressure building with negotiations still stuck. Hallie Jackson, NBC News, the White House. A Saudi teen desperate to escape her family will be allowed to stay in Thailand, at least for now. The 18-year-old made international headlines with her social media posts from a Thai hotel pleading for asylum. The brave girl getting her first taste of freedom tonight, but her future still is unclear. Dramatic plea to the UN from 18-year-old Rahaf Mohammed Al-Kanun of Saudi Arabia. I'm not leaving my room until I see UNHCR. Uh, I want uh, asylum. Begging for help, facing deportation, she barricaded herself behind this mattress in a Bangkok airport hotel. Al-Kanun said she was abused by her Saudi family, escaped, but was stopped in Thailand on her way to Australia. Her passport 
passport seized. Al-Kanun said she feared her family would kill her because she'd renounced Islam. She filmed as people came to the hotel door. She wouldn't open it. I want asylum. With tens of thousands following her on Twitter, late today, Thailand agreed to let her in the country, returning her passport. Because of the determination of Rahaf to stand up for herself, to fight for her rights, she was able to buy the time that she needed to get you and HCR in to see her. Tonight, Al Kanun is out of the airport and being considered for asylum. The Saudis say they didn't take her passport and that she was stopped for violating Thai laws. No comment from her family. Actor Kevin Spacey appeared in a Massachusetts courtroom on charges he groped a young man over two years ago. Swarmed by a crowd of reporters, Spacey silently marched into the Nantucket courthouse for an arraignment hearing. The Oscar-winning actor is facing a felony indecent assault and battery charge on accusations that he groped an 18-year-old busboy at a Massachusetts bar in 2016. Under state law, a not guilty plea was automatically entered on Spacey's behalf. The case will be back before the court on March 4th, but Spacey isn't required to appear. Some big upsets at last night's Golden Globes. Christian Bale won Best Actor for Vice, thanking Satan for giving him inspiration for his performance as former Vice President Dick Cheney. The Queen biodrama Bohemian Rhapsody picked up two awards, Best Motion Picture Drama and Best Actor for Rami Malek. Green Book won for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Lady Gaga's Shallow is or shallow from a star is born one for best original song and of course i'm sure we all know now that sandra O oh from ottawa won for best actress in a drama on tv how awesome was she last night mm -hmm. she was great fantastic well in health matters right now there's exciting research coming out of Queen's University that deals with stopping the spread of cancer. A natural toxin found in a type of ocean sponge is at the root of groundbreaking research. Neil McCartney has that story. It turned out to have um, surprisingly potent activity and desirable activity in terms of inhibiting the ability of tumor cells to migrate. Dr. John Allingham is part of a team of researchers at Queen's University that is using a natural toxin found in ocean sponges off the coast of Japan that not only stop cancer cells from metastasizing, but can also completely kill the cell itself. What we learned by studying this all this time was that the compound was targeting a protein inside of cells that's important for cells to be able to move and for cells to be able to divide. The issue with the current form of the sponge toxin, which is in short supply, it's far too dangerous to administer to a patient, but has the activity and the potency to stop cancer cells from moving in the body, collapsing and dying as seen in this video from Queens. The tentacles seen around the cell allow it to move within the body. Dr. John Craig is part of the research team. What we were excited about with this study is that even at doses that are not enough to outright kill a cancer cell, it can cause this type of collapse of the cell protrusions and prevent that cancer cell from moving. The next step in this research is the development of a synthetic version of the natural toxin, and that is being produced and tested here at Queen's University. 
to try to think about ways we can take these modified forms of the drug and attach it to delivery systems that could overcome this problem that we don't want to target it everywhere, we want to target specifically to the cancer. It is expected to take a decade for this new form of treatment to be ready to be tested on human patients. Neil McCartney, Global News, Kingston. Well, ride hailing is coming to Vancouver, but it's probably not what customers were expecting because this won't work like Uber or Lyft. The Vancouver Taxi Association will use a percentage of its new licenses to help launch a service called Cater much sooner than the other companies can. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, sooner might not be better. More cabs are on the way for Metro Vancouver. Companies allowed to increase their fleets by up to 15%. Sources indicating the Vancouver Taxi Association will use its allotment to put as many as 150 cars on the road but under the operating name Cater. The company calling itself a made-in-BC solution to ride-hailing. In exchange for the valuable licenses, the company will funnel as much as 20% of its profits back to the taxi association. The company may begin testing its app as early as this spring, well in advance of the government's timeline of fall 2019. Now, neither the Vancouver Taxi Association or Cater would confirm any of the details, but critics say the deal signed January 4th gives Cater a months-long head start on the ride-sharing industry. BC's Pro-Ride-Hailing Association calls it a band-aid to fix a larger problem that can only be solved by true ride-sharing like Uber and Lyft. There are also questions about this deal and whether it was fast-tracked. People on social media pointing out Cater is being advised by Mo Sahota, former NDP cabinet minister and party president. The BC Liberals say it will not be in the best interest of consumers. When the public think of ride sharing, they think of the ability to look at an app and order up a vehicle. They'll decide what vehicle, what company they want to rely on based on service and pricing. They don't want that imposed on Winners and losers in regards to ride sharing should be decided by the voter, should be decided by the public. Cater will be ride hailing in name only. The Passenger Transportation Board saying taxi licensees will still have to abide by all the legislation as it's written. Charging taxi fares, any discounts for booking through the app, won't be due to be implemented until September. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. How do you move something the length of a football field? Very carefully, apparently. What this is and where it's going, coming up right after Christie's forecast. And as Christy mentioned uh, just a little while ago, the S word. That's Although it looks right. so beautiful right now, Christy. Mm-hmm. No, the other S word. We did see sun today, which was nice. A little chilly, that's for sure. But a nice transition for people finishing off the holiday season. I know not everyone, but kids, for the most part, heading back to school and a lot of people getting back into the work uh, week. But a lot of snow on the mountains, which was nice to see. Now, we had blue sky, but we also had very strong winds earlier today. Yes, so the uh, seawall was closed for a number of hours this morning. Thanks to Jennifer for this uh, footage. So high tide in combination with gusts from the northwest, which is your typical strong wind across the uh, into the um, Stanley Park area, gusts up to about 50, 51 kilometers an hour. So yeah, no wonder it was closed. Look at those waves. All right, so a nice day today, but we're in for a change starting through the overnight period. I showed you these numbers earlier, again, highlighting inland Vancouver Island along the east coast 
Sunshine Coast, and then up through the House Sound region. Sea to Sky Highway may be very tough tomorrow as well. Starting as early as 7 a.m., windy conditions, so we're talking about whiteout conditions for that area. Meanwhile, this is the timeline. As I said, as early as 7 a.m., we start to see the moisture push into the Vancouver Island region, Sunshine Coast, and House Sound, but you'll notice that it hasn't quite yet pushed, pushed into Metro Vancouver. There is a chance that we could see it as early as uh, the morning hours, probably around 10 a.m., but the majority of the moisture for our area doesn't push in until later in the day when it's likely going to be a little bit warmer, and that's why we're expecting it to be more so a rain event, but it doesn't rule out the possibility that we could see some snow or wet snow or sleet at lower elevations because we have such incredible strong outflow winds that are going to persist through a good part of the morning, and it's that outflow that has the chance of keeping things a little bit cooler. Those of you in the interior, not out of the question for snow in your region. Light through the Okanagan Valley, the hardest hit area will be the West Kootenai region and then up into Whistler as well. Far northern regions, we're talking about wind chills tonight near Whitehorse down to minus 40. A risk of frostbite across those regions down through the south, mainly dry. The snowfall not expected until tomorrow night into your Wednesday morning. But yes, watch for snow tomorrow developing through the morning hours, likely a rain event for Metro Vancouver, but changing over to rain for sure uh, overnight Tuesday into our Wednesday. And I'll leave you with a beautiful shot from Michelle showing that snow on the mountains with the blue sky again. Such a good shot, Vancouver, in all its glory this morning, no doubt about it. All right, thanks, Christy. All right, a big big move began in Edmonton last night, the largest load in the province's history. This is a massive industrial tower built by Interpipeline. It's 97 meters high and weighs about 800 tons. That's roughly equal to the weight of four locomotives, or blue whales, Mm -hmm. if you will. (laughs) The tower is made primarily from carbon steel. It's now on the move to Fort Saskatchewan, where it'll be used to turn propane into recyclable plastic pellets which will then be used to make items such as computers, medical equipment, and food storage containers. Wow. Who knew? Look at all of the tires. (laughs) Amazing. And I thought moving a couch up the hallway was was tough. tough. That can be tough, too. Mm -hmm. Sure can. We all have our challenges. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, is it? Uh, Oh, Elias Pedersen? Well, is is that the party line? It's the party line. Yeah, yeah. It is the party line. I'm going to tell you a little something before that, though, because we just heard um, Jim Taylor, who is uh, sports writer in this town for forever. A gazillion years. Uh, great author, great writer, was on radio, was on television, died this morning at the age of 82. He's a member of the CFL Hall of Fame, the BC Sports Hall of Fame. He was one of those guys, when he wrote in the newspaper... Even if he didn't like sports, you read it just because he was such a great writer. Jim was such a great writer, you could have given him a grocery list and he would have made that entertaining. So he will be sorely missed. Jim Taylor, gone at the age of 82 this morning. Our condolences to his family and friends, of course. Now, as Chris just mentioned, Elias Patterson, his knee injury, not that bad. And the good news is the Canucks don't have a lot of games this month, only six. So because of the quiet time in the Canucks schedule, He won't have to miss many games, you would think. Of course, we aren't really sure how many games he will miss right now, but the fact he didn't have to be helped off the ice when he was hurt in Montreal last week was a good sign for head coach Travis Green. 
I've seen a lot of bad things over the years. I don't really get too worried about it until I actually know. And the fact that he skated off, I thought was a good sign. And I was hoping, I was pressing for him to come back into the game. So that's how I think. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to sprain your knee, that's, that's probably the best case scenario. It's not going to be as long as we've seen other knee injuries in the past. So but this is normal recovery, what he's doing. So he'll be, we're not going to rush him back. He'll be back when he's good and ready. Alex Edler is in the final year of his contract with the Canucks. We don't know yet what the Canucks would like to do with him. He is certainly playing some of the best hockey we have seen him play in recent years. He seems rather rejuvenated. And that means more teams would be interested in him if the Canucks and Edler himself would like to be traded before the deadline on February 25th. So what would Alex Edler be worth on the trade market? He's a veteran defenseman. His contract is up after this season. He has offensive touch, and he eats minutes like they were potato chips. But we aren't sure we'll ever find out because Edler has a no-trade clause in his contract. And there's one other thing. Like, I like it here. I've, I've been here my whole career, and I've been treated well. I've, I like this city. And the Canucks like him. He's gone through a lot of wars, a lot of battles. He's had a he's had a great career here in Vancouver, and for me, he's having a an outstanding season. No, he's been great for us again this year. Big matchups, and, and hopefully, we can sign him to uh, you know. Hopefully, we can stay here for a little bit longer. Re-signing him is another option for the Canucks, but trading him seems more in line with building for the future. But Alex Edler's no-trade clause means it's ultimately his decision whether he stays or goes. And even if he was offered up to a Stanley Cup contender, you get the feeling that doesn't mean much to him. It's a minor penalty. Edler, one-timer, scores! I mean, if I could pick any team I wanted today, still there's no guarantees. Like, it's such a competitive league. And also I think it's pretty exciting to, you know, go through the change here. You know, we had a great team and... You know, it's been kind of a rebuild, and I think now we're, we're on the way up again, so uh, that'd be, I think it'd be uh, good to be part of that till the end, till we get another chance. The Vancouver Whitecaps released their schedule today. Believe it or not, their first exhibition game is one month away on February 8th. Their first home game against Minnesota will be March 2nd. The regular season will end October 6th. Four of the last five games of the regular season will be at BC Place, which is a nice way to finish things off if they're in a playoff battle. Wayne Rooney if he gets through the airport, will be here with D.C. United on August 17th. If it makes the Chicago Bears, and especially Cody Parkey, feel any better, his field goal that hit the post and the crossbar before hitting the ground has now been called a blocked field goal because it was knocked offline by the finger of Trayvon Hester. The miss allowed Philadelphia to win 16-15, but what's really weird is hitting the post, which would be really hard to do if you tried to do it on purpose, has been Parkey's problem in Chicago this year. He did it four times in one game against Detroit back in November. So maybe hitting the post to finish the season was destined to happen. And oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. But yeah, I, I struck a good ball there. And unfortunately, I mean, I, I can't make this up. I hit the post, what, six times this year, and I hit it twice on that one. Like I said... I mean, you can't make this up. I mean, I feel terrible, but the team down, um, that's on me. So I have to own it. I have to be a man. And, you know, it's unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, that's the way it went. 
Sometimes that's the worst job in sports, being the field goal guy. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Okay, thanks very much, Square. Here is today's snow report. Whistler Blackcomb reporting a base of 258 centimeters, grouse 223, cypress at 232, 213 Sasquatch with 28 new, Revelstoke base at 212, 185 Fernie, Manning Park 146 with 15 new, and Whitewater a base of 185, Big White's base 170, 152 Silver Star 141 Sun Peaks, Kicking Horse a base of 181 with 11 new, Mount Washington 172, Powder Kings base 210. Well, his family says it's a miracle, and once you see the story, you'll probably agree. A man's life support is removed. His family said their tearful goodbyes, but then an incredible surprise. They call Scott Marr the miracle man. I was almost dead, and they didn't think I would survive at all. Because he wasn't supposed to be here in Omaha to ring in the new year. Mar was in a coma. Doctors believe the result of a stroke. He was completely unresponsive and he was intubated. The 61-year-old's breathing tube was removed. Funeral plans about to get underway. I'll never hear him say, hey, son, to me again, because he always said that on the phone. But the feisty father of four wasn't quite ready for the pearly gates. As his kids were saying their final goodbyes... I walked in and said, hi, Dad, and he just cracked a smile at me with his eyes still closed, and I didn't know what to do. I grabbed his hand, and he kind of mumbled to me, like, hey, sweetheart. Turns out it wasn't a stroke, but a rare condition affecting brain function that can be reversed. Encephalopathy. <laughs> I, it's wrong, right? Encephalopathy. There you go. A syndrome. Yes. That's what I had. Doctors say the brain swelling receded, and after weeks of therapy, he's back home, hoping to use his gift of extra time to help others. What would you call what happened to you? A miracle. Period. End of story. A story that now has an extra chapter. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Omaha. He looks so healthy. I know. It's amazing. Reminds you of the old Holy Grail joke. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And he's not. Bring out your dead. All right. Thanks very much for watching. Have a great night, folks. Good night.